Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. To find out if it's right for you. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 44 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is part one of a two-part case. The next instalment will be available in two days. This episode contains distressing themes explicit language and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised.
a mother of two is found bludgeoned to death in a suspected burglary gone wrong. The attack is barbaric. Blood spatter covers the ceiling. But in spite of the carnage, only a small sum of money has been stolen. Is a woman's life really worth the £100 that was reported missing? The attack shocks the quiet suburban neighbourhood as police struggle to find a suspect. Is this really a random attack? Or is someone closer to home responsible? This case begins around an hour and a half before paramedics arrived at the scene and found schoolteacher 48-year-old Evelyn Howells murdered in her front room. Her two sons, 15-year-old Glenn and his brother John, 14, would recount to the police how sometime around 8pm they went out to walk the family's Yorkshire Terrier, Jess. The teenagers and their mother shared the family home on Dalton Green Lane in Huddersfield with their father, David. David Howells was employed as an engineering technician at a chemical works. Earlier that evening, the 46-year-old had left the white pebble-semi-detached bungalow located a few miles east of Huddersfield Town Centre in West Yorkshire to go out for a drink and to socialise. He was a regular at Primrose Hill Conservative Club and enjoyed a game of dominoes. On this particular night, a Thursday, he was playing in a regularly scheduled darts tournament. Evelyn, his wife of 24 years, who taught religious education and history at Newsom High School, was at home. Her teenage sons, Glenn and John, told detectives that when they left, their mother was snuggled up in the front room warm by the flickering fire, and she read a book. Evelyn would be returning to work in a few days, when the new school term was due to start. When Glenn and John returned to the ivy-covered bungalow late that evening on Thursday, August 31st, 1995, they noticed that the back door was open. Neither recalled leaving it ajar, although even if it were closed, the family never tended to lock any doors if someone was home. The boys stepped inside and found the house to be in disarray panic set in. Glenn walked into the front room. The furniture and furnishings were damaged and the contents of drawers strewn across the floor. The kitchen was also a mess of broken possessions, pots and pans tossed aside. Glenn then saw his mother. Sprawled out on a beanbag dressed in a nighty and a dressing gown, Evelyn's body and the area where she lay was covered in blood. 
After seeing what had befallen his mother operating on instinct, Glenn quickly turned around and stopped his younger brother from entering the room. He then apprehensively checked his mother's neck for a pulse. She felt cold to the touch. The brothers ran next door and raised the alarm. In tears, Glenn told the neighbour what had happened. He used the phone and spoke to a 999 operator. Glenn said, Just come to my house. My mum's been hurt and she's bleeding. When paramedics arrived, they declared Evelyn dead at the scene. It looked as though she had been struck repeatedly on the head with a heavy blunt object, possibly a hammer, something that would later be confirmed during a post-mortem. The family were comforted by a police family liaison officer from the West Yorkshire Constabulary. It was the second tragedy the family had suffered. Evelyn Howells had given birth to a son Gareth a few years before Glenn was born. However, Gareth survived only a few days before passing away. It was said this tragedy had understandably impacted Evelyn's life and directly affected the relationship she had with her sons. Evelyn Howell's husband slowly began to clean up the scene after the family's belongings had been scattered throughout the property. He reported that around £100 was missing from the address. The prevailing theory suggested that the home was accessed by the killer through an unlocked door. Startled, the suspect or suspects brutally ended Evelyn's life for an amount of money that seemed insubstantial. Neighbours on Dalton Green Lane were fraught with worry. Parents comforted their children, many of whom attended Newsom High School. Could someone have been watching the address waiting for David and his sons to leave? Like clockwork, Evelyn's boys often walked the dog around the same time each night, and every Thursday her husband David Howells was out having a drink and playing darts. It was a night when Evelyn would enjoy some time to herself, reading with a drink as a way to unwind. The senior investigating officer dealt with the press and offered his thoughts about the incident. Detective Superintendent Gary Haig described how it must have been shocking for a son to see his mother subjected to such a horrific attack. A hammer was considered to be the murder weapon, although it had not been found. D.S. Haig said, This seems like a burglary which has gone tragically wrong. She was the victim of a sustained and vicious attack. It was callous and unnecessary and has left an entire family completely devastated. 
Both Evelyn's husband and their children went to identify her body. A home office pathologist who completed the post-mortem discovered that Evelyn had been struck more than once. Pathologist John Clark, who carried out the examination, identified at least ten injuries to the head and neck, inflicted with both ends of what he believed to be a hammer or weapon like it. Segments of skull had been struck so hard they shattered, impacting the brain and severing the jugular vein and carotid artery. Residents of Dalton Green Lane were warned by police to keep their doors and windows locked. Understandably, being the one who was said to have made the discovery, Glenn struggled to come to terms with what had happened. Something so harrowing would no doubt leave a mark. It was reported that he was receiving counselling. Journalist Derek Hornby spoke with the headmaster of Newsom High School about faculty member Evelyn Howells. The staff are numb with shock, he said. All the children will be devastated. I shall talk to them at assembly when they arrive on Monday. Eve was extremely conscientious and dedicated. She was a strict disciplinarian but always had a twinkle in her eye and could joke with staff and pupils. My view of her is as the very best sort of old-school mum. Tributes were being organised before the children started a new school term, before their return following the summer holidays. Within the first few days of the inquiry, several suspects were arrested, three men and a woman all from the local area. Although following questioning, they were released on bail but were never ultimately charged. The West Yorkshire police were hoping to narrow their focus. Still, it was looking more likely that the constabulary would need to cast a wider net as every avenue of the investigation seemed to be leading to a dead end. The only clue found at the scene was a rubber glove stained with blood. Detectives believed it was worn by the killer or killers when they carried out the assault. Considering that the property was unlocked and there was only a handful of defensive injuries... This suggested that perhaps the person or people responsible were known to Evelyn. The attack came as a surprise when she was not looking. A doctor had prescribed Valium to help her sleep, which might have affected her reaction time. Evelyn was known to be strict with her students. Could it have been an ex-pupil with a grudge? was approaching the three-week anniversary since Evelyn Howells was found beaten to death. 
Weeks earlier, her husband spoke during a heartfelt appeal. He explained his eldest son was understandably struggling with what had happened. David Howells described himself as soft on his sons, and it was his wife who ran the household, ensuring that the children had done their chores and their homework. He said that although Evelyn was autocratic, bringing her style of schooling home, the family loved and respected her. David Howells would go on to become more and more isolated after his wife's death. He barely left the house. There had not been a substantial break in the case, only theories. It was postulated that the killer or killers must have known their victim as there were no reports from locals about anything out of the ordinary. The arrest the West Yorkshire Police had initially made did not lead to any charges. But on September 20th, two suspects were taken into police custody in the early morning hours. They were identified as two teenage males, though their names were not released. Their father, who stayed with them at the police station, could not believe what was happening. Rumours swirled, and locals were shocked. Was it really some of Evelyn's pupils that could have so brutally ended her life? The property at Dalton Green Lane was again a hive of activity. Curious neighbours peered out through their curtains as numerous scene-of-crime officers dressed head-to-toe in white forensic overalls carried items of evidence out of the property. Detective Superintendent Gary Haig spoke with reporters and confirmed that neither of the suspects had yet been interviewed. However, the SIO acknowledged the young males were from Huddersfield. They were in the process of being briefed by their solicitor before questioning commenced. Charged with murder, the two teenage boys who it was now understood were brothers aged 14 and 15 appeared at Huddersfield Youth Court on September 22nd. In a hearing that lasted just over three quarters of an hour, they confirmed their names, ages and addresses. This information could not be made public at the time. Supported by their father and a friend of the family, the boys were told they would be separated and placed on remand in the care of the local authority. Their councils did not request bail, but the boys vehemently denied the charge they faced. The suspects were told they would need to appear at further hearings over the coming months. Their father, who was in the public gallery, appeared distraught as he witnessed his sons being marched from the court. While the case against the two young suspects was working its way through the legal system, 
another arrest was made seven weeks after the murder. An adult male in his mid-40s, also from Huddersfield, was taken to a police station and questioned by detectives on October 18th. It was not unusual to withhold a suspect's identity in the early stages of an investigation, but no sooner had details emerged of the arrest, the third suspect was charged. In a court hearing at Huddersfield Magistrates Court on October 20th, the suspect confirmed his identity. His name was David John Howells. It was Evelyn's husband. He was facing a joint charge with the two teenage brothers who had been arrested the previous month. Their names could not be reported, although when their identities were finally revealed, it would come as no surprise. As detectives began their investigation, they accepted Glenn and John Howell's version of the events without scrutiny. But they slowly realised that little at the scene made sense. Evelyn Howells may have been beaten to death in what was being postulated as a botched burglary. However, she had few defensive wounds, which would have been more prominent if someone had burst in and attacked her. This suggested she knew her killer. £100 was supposedly stolen that had been hidden in a cafetiere. Detectives wondered how the robber-turned-murderer would have known to look inside, given it was most certainly not the type of place a panicked criminal in a frantic rush to steal money and escape from what was now a murder scene would necessarily think to look. The hammer was not initially reported missing from the home. Had it been a burglary gone wrong when the burglar was startled, they would have likely picked up something close to hand. Surely it would have been a knife as they were near the kitchen. No renovation work was being done on the house, so it was not the sort of object that was simply lying around. As a hammer was not reported missing, this would suggest the killer had brought a weapon with them, at odds with the prevailing theory of a panicked burglar. When Glenn was questioned how he checked his mother's neck for a pulse without leaving any fingerprints, he said he put on a rubber glove. This no doubt raised some questions. Officers asked where he retrieved the glove from. They were pointed to a cupboard. That area was marked with Evelyn's blood. Had he reached into that spot with bloody hands? Had he touched the body? Finally, and most importantly, why was there blood spatter on his younger brother's coat? According to Glenn, John never entered the room, as he was supposedly stopped by Glenn. Although there were several questions that surrounded the case... The initial spark that family members could be involved simply came from nothing more than a hunch, a gut feeling by the senior investigating officer D.S. Haig, 
Aig began to ask questions of every individual who had come into contact with the surviving family. He began to learn some home truths. The case also proved that it was a very small world indeed. D.S. Haig was schoolmates with Evelyn's husband David Howells when they took the same classes together in the late 1950s. A neighbour spoke of their surprise and shock following the news that both Evelyn's husband and children had been charged in relation to her murder. An anonymous resident of Dalton Green Lane told the reporter for the Express newspaper. He was the typical hen-pecked husband, which was even more amazing because she was such a thin slip of a woman, and he was burly and powerfully built. Everyone who lived near them knew Eve was a Harrenden and wondered how he put up with it all. He wondered why they didn't get divorced but no one ever dreamed he would resort to this. The Crown's case against the three defendants was one of collusion and premeditation, something all three suspects strongly denied. Glenn David Howells, the eldest of Evelyn's sons, did not deny he ended his mother's life but he argued that he was provoked. He offered a guilty plea to a charge of manslaughter. The two smartly dressed brothers sat together in a show of unity, although they did not meet each other's gaze, only staring straight ahead as they watched the opening of the trial. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery+. Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. 
Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The jury at least Crown Court was told of the type of relationship that Evelyn had with her husband and their two children. Glenn Howell's defence counsel, Gary Burrell QC, said that his young client had been subjected to severe and repeated emotional and mental abuse and cruelty. According to the barrister, Evelyn presented two very different personalities to the world. The faculty at Newsom High School, where she worked, remembered her as a hard-working teacher who, despite being a harsh disciplinarian, cared for the children she taught. But at home, things were very different. She controlled the family's finances, including her husband's salary, down to the last penny. At one point in 1991, she held a joint account with her husband, which contained around £50,000. David Howells went into the building society where they held the account and made a personal withdrawal of £100. When Evelyn discovered what had happened, she demanded a full investigation as to why she was not consulted. She marched her husband into the building society, closing the account, and transferred all the money into an account under her name. A new account was opened for her husband, in which she placed just £100. According to the defence, Six Stone Evelyn Howells also controlled the family in other ways. It was implied in court that due to her weight, Evelyn had an eating disorder. A complicated relationship with food extended to her family. She put a lock on the fridge door so she could control when her sons Glenn and John and her husband David ate. On one occasion during the funeral of their grandfather, the boys were told they could not stay for the buffet as they should be at work on their paper round. They were also charged 20 pence from their pocket money if they wanted a biscuit. Evelyn did not like food going to waste or a mess. An apple core was once found in the boys' room, 
and so they were grounded for two weeks. On another occasion when the family were having dinner together, Glenn never ate his Brussels sprouts. When cleaning up, his mother kept them in a container and presented them back to her son a week later, causing him to eat them cold and mouldy. Unsurprisingly, he ended up being sick, for which he was chastised further. Neighbour Jeff Matthews recounted how Evelyn was highly agitated. Matthews, who lived in the adjoining property to the Howell's semi-detached family home, described the piercing voice he used to hear through the walls. I have never heard another woman talk like that, he said. Based on the comments from their neighbours, the Howells were referred to as the family from hell due to the endless arguments emanating from the household. Evelyn Howells was labelled a dictator, quick to anger and quick to punish. She ruled the family home with an iron fist. When they were young, she would threaten to burn the boys' toys with a lighter if they did not behave. She referred to Glenn and John as little bastards. Evelyn was heard continually swearing and chastising her children, even spitting at them. Most days she would make the boys rub her feet or massage her back while she lay naked on the bed. John, the youngest, had given his mother a pedicure only hours before his brother took their mother's life. Evelyn's stepmother, Mary Dyson, provided a statement in which she noted how Evelyn constantly argued with her husband, David. According to the witness, Evelyn neglected the children, treating them with contempt. To an outsider, Eve seemed to despise her children. Mary Dyson said. She was always shouting at them. She did not seem to think very much about them. She seemed to have it in for Glenn for some reason. She seemed to despise him. For some unknown reason, Glenn was only allowed to shower twice a week. Glenn's mother had reportedly given him the nickname Arthur because she felt that he would do half a job when asked to carry out his chores. His brother John was referred to a psychologist when he was younger. It was argued because of the treatment he received by his mother. At school, John would steal other children's lunches, quickly eating what he could before he was reprimanded. When he got home, he would open several tins of food, taking a single mouthful, then hiding the containers throughout the house. If he obtained money, for example a £5 or £10 note, he would burn them. He also urinated in the waste paper bins throughout the home. The claims of child cruelty were borne out through testimony and descriptions from many court witnesses and publicly available accounts. However, while all of this was going on, the boy's father, David Howells, frequently turned his attention to the local pubs throughout Huddersfield, 
seeking solace at the bottom of a pint glass rather than facing the harsh realities of his life at home. The barrister for Glen Howells put forward a defence of provocation. The abuse he suffered was backed up by several witnesses. But the prosecutor, Franz Muller QC, was determined to prove that the killing of Evelyn Howells was not committed on the spur of the moment. He said she was bludgeoned to death in her own home by one of her teenage sons in a plot concocted by her own family. Muller described how the young brothers staged the scene to make it appear as though their home had been ransacked, and Evelyn was murdered in the process. Muller said, First indications were that this was an attack during the course of a burglary, and those responsible had made their escape, taking away whatever they could steal and the weapon or weapons. But the prosecution maintains this was not a spur-of-the-moment assault. It was a planned attack on Mrs. Howells designed to kill her with attempts to make sure that those responsible were not brought to book. The prosecutor explained to the five women and seven men who were to decide the case that the surviving family members wanted to be rid of Evelyn so they could receive not only an inheritance through Evelyn's savings, pension and mortgage in the region of £160,000, but they would free themselves from someone who was making their lives a misery. John Howells, who was 14 when his mother died, was interviewed in November while on remand in a secure youth detention centre. He had at first said his brother had found their mother beaten to death. But when asked about Evelyn and what exactly happened that night, John remarked, She was never nice to us. She was always horrible. We planned on killing her together over the period of about a week. She had never treated us like her sons. She treated us like dirt. Detectives had been informed in November 1995, three months after his mother's death, John Howells wished to change his statement. John explained to detectives how his part in the events was to ensure he got rid of the evidence, a rusty stonemason's hammer and some bloody clothing. He had disposed of the hammer in a canal. According to John, his father had told him it was most important that he not be implicated as then none of them would get any inheritance. John said, We all agreed to do it. I would hide the weapons, and Dad was going to have nothing to do with it. He would be away playing darts. We decided we were going to do it the week before. Glenn was to do it after he came back from walking the dog. But we didn't have the bottle. A forensic scientist would later testify that based on the evidence, John Howells was in the room when the attack happened. Blood spots were found on the sleeves of his jacket. 
the scientists remarked. All of the blood on the jacket was consistent with blood being flying blood. That is to say, blood that has gone through the air. The person wearing this jacket was in the room when the blood was flying. There is no other way in which the blood can arrive on the jacket in that form. It flies through the air and it spots. The police never fully obtained a detailed plan of what the boys and their father had intended to do. However, a call was made to the Howells family home from the location where their father was drinking sometime around 8.20pm. It was understood this was an indication to Glenn and John that their father had been seen by other patrons and his alibi was firmly in place. In the early stages, David Howells bore all the hallmarks of a grieving widower. He seemed above scrutiny, but following the arrests of his sons, the police became even more suspicious. They sought something more concrete and were aware the boys would be speaking to their father at the police station in Huddersfield. Detective Superintendent Gary Haig successfully argued to secretly record them. The West Yorkshire Police ended up with at least ten tapes worth of conversations between the boys and their father, discussing their plans. Unaware the room was wired for sound, David Howells told his sons they need not worry. He had promised them that after their mother's death they would have a good life. Holidays in the sun, a jet ski, and £5,000 each. David could even buy himself a new sports car. They just had to keep their mouths shut. He said quietly to them, We have just got to bluff it out. If you two break, I'm in as well. So we have just got to stick together. You are not bad boys. Whether you are found guilty or not, I will always be there for you. In a whispered tone, he chastised his eldest son Glenn for not covering his hands when the attack was carried out. We would have got away with it if you had been wearing gloves. After David Howells told his sons that they would not get convicted if they kept their stories straight, they quietly mentioned the blood found on John's jacket. They did not realise how experts could retrieve such a small amount of forensic material from an item of clothing. In the recordings, the trio discussed ideas for how they could explain away the presence of Evelyn's blood on the jacket. They decided to tell police that she cut her finger when she was cooking, some three weeks before she died. In whispers, Glenn Howells, who wielded the hammer, could be heard on the recording saying over and over again, I want my mum. I want my mum. It was argued by the Crown that although Howells was not present when his wife was killed, hoping to provide himself with an airtight alibi, he was in fact the architect behind the plot. 
after his arrest for the murder of his wife. According to the prosecution, David Howells admitted to a cellmate in Durham prison what he had planned. Howells confessed to prisoner Barry Johnson that he decided his eldest son would have to be the one to carry out the killing, as he was the strongest. The two cellmates had managed to get hold of some alcohol in their cell, and Johnson continued pestering Howells until he eventually admitted what he had done. Howells then told Johnson that he even booked a holiday to make it appear as though the family had plans. Howells had allegedly told his sons that it did not matter how they killed their mother. They just needed to make it look like a burglary. The police would discover that the plan to murder Evelyn Howells had been brewing for some time. Before her death, David and his sons had discussed pushing her under a bus over a cliff edge, or from a hotel balcony. However, when they arrived at a hotel in Ibiza, the plan was foiled, as the family were provided with a room on the first floor. It was the behaviour of Evelyn's sons that first raised suspicions. Shockingly, when the family went to identify her body, It was noticed that Glenn did not appear upset and even smiled at his brother as they confirmed it was the beaten body of their mother that lay before them. The prosecutor also pointed out that around four days after their mother's death, the boys were excitedly getting their ears pierced at a local hairdresser. Franz Muller QC acknowledged it was only a minor indicator all was not what it seemed. However, he said it perhaps showed that the boys felt free from the, quote, restrictions imposed by their mother. One of the witnesses to take the stand on the first day of the trial to attest to the behaviour of Evelyn's husband was her aunt. The witness described how David Howells sought comfort from friends and family members after his wife's death. He drank heavily, initially spending time with his friend and co-worker Russell Hurst. Evelyn's aunt told the court how when she saw David for the first time after her niece's death, a chill ran up her spine. With a strange look in his eyes, David recounted in gruesome detail how his wife had been killed. James Senior Stev Wright testified. David told me he had been up half the night before he and Russell Hurst had gone to sleep in each other's arms crying. I think he had been drinking quite a lot. He described her wounds and what had been done to her. I was stunned. I found it very upsetting. Russell Hurst, David Howell's friend, co-worker and the children's godfather also took the stand. He spoke about his relationship with the accused and what had transpired in the years since they had been acquainted. 
Uh, Stewart looked unsteady as he entered the court, asked to be seated when he testified. Ten years Howells Jr., the witness met the defendant in the late 70s when Hurst worked as an apprentice maintenance fitter under David Howell's instruction. Apart from the age difference, they shared a very similar appearance. Both had comparable builds, moustaches, the same haircuts and could very well be mistaken for brothers. The pair often drank together at the conservative club and the local pubs, most notably on a Thursday the same day of the week on which Evelyn was attacked. Russell Hurst confirmed that David Howells met Evelyn at a British Legion function in the early 70s. They married in 1973. Five years later, Evelyn lost a baby only a few days after she gave birth, something that she would go on to mark in the local paper every year. Glenn, the Howells' eldest child, was born in 1980. His brother John followed a year later. The boys called the witness Uncle Russ, and he was a constant fixture in their lives. As Russell Hurst spoke, his face grew paler and paler. He explained how, in 1982, he went to the resort town of Salo in Spain, taking a holiday with David and Evelyn and the children. Hurst could not have been testifying for more than ten minutes when he slowly started to sway in his seat and promptly fainted. Several members of the court rushed to his aid. A doctor was summoned who tended to the witness. Hurst appeared to have had some sort of fit. The witness was escorted from the court before a shock jury. Russell Hurst was taken to the hospital and would not give evidence until a later date. After he left the court, Mr Justice Elliot dryly remarked to the jury, You can sympathise with him, poor chap. I was following his statement, and he was one line away from admitting his adultery. It was revealed that Russell Hurst had been having an affair with Evelyn Howells for well over a decade. It had first started when he went abroad with the Howells in 1982. Although the pair had stopped the secret relationship around a year before Evelyn Howells' death, ending their 12-year affair, they saw each other practically every day. After the affair became public knowledge, Russell Hurst wrote to David Howells when he was on remand, apologising about what had happened. David Howells stressed he neither knew about the affair, nor was it a factor in his wife's death. To complicate matters further as David Howells and his two sons could very well be convicted of Evelyn's murder. This meant that through her will, Evelyn had left her fortune to former lover Russell Hurst. 
At least according to Hearst, he had been entirely unaware that he could be set to inherit around £160,000, depending on the outcome of the case. However, Hearst did not seem to care about the money. He would later describe Evelyn as the love of his life. This was a far cry from the words her children and husband had employed when describing the woman they had allegedly murdered in an effort to inherit her estate. This is the end of episode 44. To hear more about the trial, the outcome and what happened next, please tune in in two days' time. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our new Patreon producer, Bridget O'Keefe, and everyone who supports us on Patreon. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, the Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery+. Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. 
Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Listen to this ACAST show ad-free on Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.